Scripture reading comes to us this morning from Exodus chapter 20, verse 14. We are continuing our series in the book of Exodus, which has culminated in a mini-series in the Ten Commandments. Uh, If you did not bring a Bible with you, one should be near you, in front of you, under a chair. This would be on page 61. Exodus chapter 20, verse 14 reads, You shall not commit adultery. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our God will stand forever. I'm not sure that I had heard this hymn before I arrived in our new church in Macomb. Maybe I had sung it earlier in life, I just don't remember. But the refrain is, trust and obey, for there is no other way to be happy in Jesus. That's ultimately what the Ten Commandments are about. Are you willing to trust and obey? And recognize that there's no other way to be happy in Jesus. Can He tell us what to do? Does He know what's actually best for us in our lives? We are going to be challenged on that this morning in a very culturally relevant way. Because the seventh commandment will strip all of us of our idols. If you are living in society today, does he have the authority to tell us what to do and restrict us from certain things that maybe we wish we could have or that we think we are owed? Of course he does. But the question for us this morning is, are we going to trust Him and obey Him? Regardless of the consequences that may be rendered to us by friends, family, or the culture. Firstly, what is commanded regarding adultery? Second, what is forbidden regarding adultery? Third, how can we live? In an unchaste world. Looking at a few things regarding what is commanded regarding adultery, you have to start with recognizing the sanctity of sexuality or marriage. The obvious reference to this commandment is to marriage. Genesis chapter 2, verses 18 to 25. I will not read all of it, it tells us God created Adam. He created Eve from Adam because it's not good for man to be alone. And a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. The man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. There's a lot there that we can't even begin to unpack this morning. But marriage, among many things, is for companionship. It is for procreation. And it's all God's idea. It's all based on His design as the Creator. So therefore, as we 
look at this topic. Sexuality is good, and it's created by God. Its only place in thought, word, and deed is in marriage between a man and a woman, a husband and a wife. Now, I've probably already been canceled by myriads of people throughout the world if they were listening to this right now. But those are the building blocks that the book of Genesis gives us that's already been alive and vibrant in the covenant community. The the command here didn't start after they left Egypt. This command starts with creation. As did the fourth commandment about the Lord's Day worship. But here it's stated in plain. Sexuality is good and created by God. It's only for marriage between a man and a woman. So therefore, having said that, what else is commanded regarding adultery? Well, therefore, we have to preserve marriage. Malachi chapter 2, verses 13 to 15. And this second thing you do, you cover the Lord's altar with tears, with weeping and groaning, because He no longer regards the offering or accepts it with favor from your hand. But you say, why does He not? Because the Lord was witness between you and the wife of your youth, to whom you have been faithless. Though she is your companion and your wife by covenant, He did not make then one with a portion of the Spirit in their union. What was the one God seeking? Godly offspring. So guard yourselves in your spirit and let none of you be faithless to the wife of your youth. For the man who does not love his wife but divorces her, says the Lord, the God of Israel, covers his garment with violence, says the Lord of hosts. So guard yourselves in your spirit And do not be faithless. You could read this specifically from the prophet Malachi, but this was going on for generations in Old Testament Israel. Their hearts were far from the Lord. How do we know? They did not preserve the basics of society given by God to all humanity. Not simply Israel or the church. They did not preserve marriage. We read in Ephesians chapter 5 a little bit about maybe how, how to do that in specific. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Continuing in the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. And 1 Corinthians 7 states that our spouse, in a sense, has authority over our bodies in marriage. And Tim and Kathy Keller sum it all up like this. In marriage, we have to always be willing to say you first. Not me first. You first. And we also have to recognize that as we are attempting to preserve marriage, it is not for self-fulfillment, but for growth and holiness 
for yourself and your spouse to better reflect Jesus. So therefore, what your spouse spouse needs from you most in thought, word, and deed is your holiness. You're not here to make each other happy. Lord willing, that happens. But holiness sometimes cuts against our happiness. But we just said the only way to be happy in Jesus is to trust and obey what He commands. Here He's commanding the preservation of marriage. They are condemned in Malachi chapter 2 for not doing that in thought, word, and deed. We are commended in passages like Ephesians chapter 5 and 1 Corinthians chapter 7 to say, I'm here to serve in the marriage. Ultimately to serve Jesus. He is my true king, not my spouse. He calls me to a life of obedience and holiness and sanctification, which is exactly what my wife or my husband needs most from me is a reflection of Jesus. But if we're preserving marriage in the seventh commandment, we have to preserve chastity itself, which is where the commandment gets a little squirmy. If, if you've not noticed, you can't show up and read the Ten Commandments and go, I'm good. Hadn't done that. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, You have heard that it was said, You shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Did he change the commandment? That was always the intent. Westminster Larger Catechism, which I will continue to commend to all of you to read, especially on the Ten Commandments, says this in 138. Regarding our duties required by the Seventh Commandment, chastity in body, mind, affections, words, and behavior and the preservation of it in ourselves and others. Watchfulness over the eyes and all the senses. Temperance, keeping of chaste company. Modesty in apparel. Marriage by those that have not the gift of continency, conjugal love and cohabitation. Diligent labor in all callings. Shunning all occasions of uncleanness and resisting temptations thereunto. We're we're being commanded to forego anything that's not chaste. Anything. At all costs. And thought, word, and deed. Anything we see. Anything we hear. Protect our children from it. Be far from it. Get rid of it. Take away the temptations. 
or it will destroy your life. Mark chapter 7. Jesus mentions that it's, it's what comes from within that defiles a person. He mentions several things. Evil thoughts, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality. The Greek word there is porneia. First Timothy chapter 1. Paul says to Timothy, pastor to pastor, he describes disobedience as those who strike their fathers and mothers for murderers, for the sexually immoral, men who practice homosexuality, and enslavers. It continues. But there again, Paul is saying to Timothy, oh, the Ten Commandments, are, they're in play. They've always been in play. We don't disregard them as the new covenant community. The creation ordinances. Get away from these things. The language there is very conclusive. It's very exhaustive. That we're commanded in the seventh commandment at the floor level Respect your marriage. But all the way to the ceiling. Practice all chastity at all times, in all places, with all people, with all your senses. Regardless of what someone thinks of you or how many friends you might lose or if you get fired, get away from it. Our culture cannot tolerate even discussing this because it seems so stepping on people's toes. You can't tell me what to do. Well, it's my body and I can do whatever I want. Lord Jesus says, no, it's actually my body. If you belong to Christ, you need to obey me for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus. And the question for us this morning is, do we actually believe that? When he commands us to stay in the marriage, to respect the spouse, to respect everyone else of your same gender or the opposite gender, and practicing chastity, and recognizing the sanctity, the true meaning of all sexuality, and its placement within the church. But further, there are, there are thousands of questions that are rolling through everyone's head, and I'll probably answer about three or four of them. What is forbidden regarding adultery? What's forbidden? What's he really talking about? Well, I'm going to have to talk about church discipline in a little bit. But in Kevin DeYoung's commentary on the Ten Commandments, he mentions historian Scott uh, Manish who reviewed session minutes in Geneva from 1542 to 1609. And he shows us that part of what's forbidden regarding adultery is the mishandling of marriage, divorce, and remarriage. 
Because in 65 years in Geneva, there were 1,572 discipline cases against men, 777 against women. All of those were sexual or marital issues. That's about 36 cases a year in the 16th century. I think we have a problem that may be a little bit bigger 400 years later. It's obviously significant still today that we deal with this. How do we deal with marriage, divorce, and remarriage? It's complicated. Matthew 19 says Jesus was asked about divorce and said, What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. So he's serious about it. He's serious. The Pharisees ask about the certificate of of divorce, which is rightly in the book of Deuteronomy that Moses wrote. And Jesus responds by saying that sexual immorality is grounds for a divorce. Doesn't mean it has to happen. But Jesus is actually laying out grounds. He's not saying no fault. He's laying out grounds. 1 Corinthians 7 gives more instruction. Verses 10 and 11, To the married I give this charge, the wife should not separate from her husband, but if she does, she should remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband. And the husband should not divorce his wife. Verse 15 describes an unbelieving husband separating with the believing wife and that she can allow that and then after the fact get remarried. So therefore there are two qualifications for a biblical divorce. Sexual immorality and desertion by an unbeliever. Who determines all of this? Elders. In our constitution, in our form of church government that we get from the Bible, elders, walk through this with families and with couples. Praise be to Jesus, you're not left on your own and that you're not left with just me. There's a plurality of elders. And I would say that anybody who aspires to the office of elder, if you're not willing to wade into this mess with the sheep, don't be an elder. We have a wonderful position paper on divorce and remarriage that our our denomination formed a committee around and a study paper on. I highly commend it. You can get it in a PDF. I can buy you a hard copy. But it goes into much further detail than I can do here. There are biblical grounds for divorce. There are biblical reasons where people who have gone through that can be remarried. There are reasons why you shouldn't or that I wouldn't do a remarriage. I'm happy to talk about that with you. There's the mishandling of marriage, divorce, and remarriage, which is so, so totally accepted 
in our culture today. But there's also the mishandling of the gift of sex itself. Again, speaking a little more broadly about the sealing of the commandment. Matthew 5 mentioned lust. Matthew 7 mentioned sexual immorality, as did 1 Timothy. But again, what does the larger catechism say? What are the sins forbidden? Besides neglect of all the duties required, which we just read from, are adultery, fornication, rape, incest, sodomy, and all unnatural lusts, all unclean imaginations, thoughts, purposes, and affections, all corrupt or filthy communications, or listening thereunto, wanton looks, impudent or light behavior, immodest apparel, prohibiting of lawful and dispensing with unlawful marriages, allowing, tolerating, keeping of stews, which means brothels, and resorting to them, entangling vows of single life, undue delay of marriage, having more wives or husbands than one at the same time, unjust divorce or desertion, idleness, gluttony, drunkenness, unchaste company, lascivious songs, books, pictures, dancings, stage plays, and all other provocations to or acts of uncleanness, either in ourselves or in others. Obviously, consent is always required. We have another position paper that recently was published. And sadly, it needed to be published in this country by our denomination on domestic abuse and sexual assault. And we will be talking about that paper at the end of April in two adult Sunday school classes that our session will lead. It's a very important topic to discuss. Almost all of the things that were just laid out in the larger commandment, the larger catechism, can be found in Leviticus chapter 18, which explains unlawful sexual relations, including all family relations by law or heredity, neighbor's wife, homosexuality, all, all these kinds of things laid out in Leviticus chapter 18. And the seventh commandment, again, is quoted multiple times in the New Testament and is explained further by Paul and Jesus as being applicable and relevant then and now. So therefore, it's taking a stand. Specifically, culturally today, that everything that was just laid out by the larger catechism is against the seventh commandment. Plainly, it's against Scripture, it's against God's design. And yet again, we come up against trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus. But but I want some of these things, or I want to be able to do some of these things, or I feel like this is how I was made. And the Bible says, no. There's no other way to be happy in Jesus than to trust Him over these things and to obey Him. Because if we don't, there will be family destruction. But there will be individual heart destruction. 
in our own lives. I find it interesting that in Psalm 51, a psalm of lament over personal sin, a very righteous man, King David, having just been confronted by his friend Nathan about adultery with Bathsheba and being complicit in her husband's murder, says, against you, you only have I sinned. He didn't mean to imply that he didn't sin against Uriah's family. But who did he sin against first? His creator. God himself. There are so many Old Testament references to spiritual adultery, I couldn't even possibly quote them all. They're in all of the prophets. But if you wanted to have a very quick summation of how to make this right, or why this is happening in your own heart, what I would say is that this is a matter of worship. Because this is not the first commandment. As devastating as breaking this commandment is, This is not what God leads with. God leads with worship. How? The first commandment is regarding who should we worship. Not ourselves. And our desires. Or our spouses. Or our children. Or our grandchildren. Or our money, or our jobs, or our status but God alone. That's the first commandment. Who are you going to worship with your body? But the second one says, how are we going to worship? He says, not with images, not not in man-made structures, not how we think best to worship Him, but how He has designed us to worship Him, how He commands us to worship Him. He said, not with images, that's how He wants us to worship Him. He gets to tell us that. But third, why should we worship Him? Because of who He is. His name. We don't take His name in vain. We don't throw His name around like He's our friend and our neighbor. He's our God and our King. Fourthly, when should we worship? Well, every day in private and family worship is our confession teaches But on the Lord's day, we set aside a day because he told us to for worship. Why do I bring this up? We're going off the rails in commandments five through 10 because we've lost the first four. It's about worship. Who do you worship? Who gets to tell you what to do? Worship God. He gets to tell you what to do. Finally, how can we live in this unchaste world? I've scratched the surface on so many significant, controversial cultural issues, and that's not intentional. 
But how can we live in an unchaste world? Firstly, I would say, repent, receive forgiveness, and obey His commands. But I want to speak directly to individuals who have violated the seventh commandment. Maybe even in violation of other people. Repent of your sin. Is Jesus worth giving up what you want to do with your body? Yes. But you have to repent of your sin specifically and possibly walk back what you have done depending on what you have done. But I also want to say that there is an assurance of pardon for whatever you have done if there is repentance. Psalm 130. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. You may be feared. 1 John 1. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. All unrighteousness can be cleansed through repentance and forgiveness. But there might still be consequences for what you have done. Based on Scripture and the wisdom of the elders, we may say don't get married again. We may say don't participate in children's ministry. We may say that you need to be removed from church office and or you can never serve in church office again. That's what the session does. In holding sinners to account to the point of excommunication, if there's no repentance. But what about this? We also should receive forgiveness and give it as well. Maybe those in the room who have been on the other end, possibly victims or betrayed or mistreated regarding the seventh commandment. I want to say this I'm sorry. It was wrong. It is wrong. Your life has changed. Hear these words from Zephaniah. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you with his love. 
and he will exult over you with loud singing. I will gather those of you who mourn for the festival so that you will no longer suffer reproach. Zephaniah was speaking of the future. The Apostle John knew what he was talking about in Revelation 21, where he says he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Elders will protect you confidentially. Deacons will be confidential if there are mercy needs. And so were their wives. And so will our wives. Elders will seek to bring people to repentance and forgiveness. But if those two things don't exist, there will not be reconciliation. And sometimes that's not going to happen in this life. My wife and I had to walk through a season of forgiving people who didn't repent. And you don't have to walk through that by yourself. We will walk there with you, as will our elders. It's hard, but it doesn't have to be done by yourself. That's why we are a covenant community. Friends, I would say before we take the supper, you think about your own life. But what you've done or left undone in thought, word, and deed of the seventh commandment and recognize that there is assurance of pardon for your sins through repentance. That regardless of real world consequences that still remain, there is coming a day when there will be no more suffering. No more tears and no more crying. But friends, remember these words. Trust and obey. For there is no other way to be happy in Jesus. Let us pray together. Father, we recognize that there are cultural, personal landmines that we have stepped on today. Jesus shepherded the sheep. Would you shepherd your sheep? In prayer, word, and in the sacrament. Lord Jesus, you can bring forgiveness, you can bring healing, you can even bring reconciliation. Do those things. When it seems impossible, would you do those things in our own personal lives, in our own marriages? May Christ's covenant be a beacon of godly sexuality in Hernando de Soto County. 
and throughout the world we pray. Amen.